Well, good morning. It's good to be back again. I was gone last week. Last week at this time, I was up north at a family reunion. Um, one of those things where you don't quite know what you're getting into. Um, it's my mom's side of the family, about a hundred of us getting together, and uh, came from all over the country, from Massachusetts, from Indiana, Illinois, far away as Alaska, um, and we had a blast together. It's amazing sometimes, I don't know if you have with family reunions, that now you can be gone for three years, haven't seen some of these relatives of mine for years, and it doesn't take that long to reconnect. And we uh, had fun playing games together, talking together, learning. We aren't going to see each other again, some of us, for another three years. And my guess is three years from now when we do this again, the connection's going to come. It's going to be easy. That happens, can happen with family, right? The, the phrase, you probably heard it, blood is thicker than water, right? Friendships can kind of just fade, um, but those blood relationships can stay strong even when you don't see each other for a long time. And you know, blood thicker than water, a lot of us will do things for family members that we would never even think of doing just for friends, right? For family, we'll travel across the country on holidays, sitting in cramped airplanes in tiny seats or whole family piled into the minivan for hours on end. At least it seems like hours on end, Right? We'll do that for family, not so readily, just for acquaintances and friends. For family, we'll do favors that we wouldn't do for other people. For family, we'll sacrifice a free weekend to go to a graduation or, or a wedding or, or some other family event. For family, we'll keep that key re- relationship together when, when maybe if that was a friend who hurt me like that or offended me or we just let it go. Not for family, though. Blood is thicker than water. This morning, we are going to experience the sacrament of baptism. Right? Many of you have, have heard me talk often about the water. We talk to the kids when they come up here about this water for baptism, right? It's, it's, it's nothing special. It's out of the sink in the kitchen. Right? It's the same water that I have in my mug that I drink. And yet, in some ways, this water is very special. It's very special because this water stands in the place of blood, the blood of Jesus that links us all together as a family of God, right? Blood is thicker than water. The family of God, we're linked together with this water just as blood binds us together with our families. So this water binds us together as the family of God. When we understand and take this sacrament of baptism seriously, we'll find that water is thicker than blood. So as we dive deeper this summer into what we believe, we need to dive deeper into our understanding of these two sacraments, the means of grace that God gives us, and understand what they really mean and what God has really given us here. So this morning we need to understand the history behind baptism before we experience it, because it is a history of blood. That turns our earthly proverb on its head, right? Water ends up being thicker than blood. I'm sure if you've been here at all this summer, you've noticed that the Belgic Confession has helped us to dive deeper into what we believe, to help us understand more about things that we often just readily accept without thinking about. And so we're going to use the Belgic Confession again this morning to understand what's going to happen in a few minutes to these two 
young girls in the front when we baptized them, to better understand how you're a part of that, to better understand what happened with you when many of you were baptized and what that means. The Belgic Confession begins with a history lesson that helps us explain why this bowl is going to be filled with water instead of blood. But why don't you read this along with me to, to state what we believe and maybe sink it in our heads and our hearts a little deeper. What does it say? It says, we believe and confess that Jesus Christ, in whom the law is fulfilled, has by his shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood, which anyone might do or wish to do in order to atone or satisfy for sins. Having abolished circumcision, which was done with blood, God established in its place the sacrament of baptism. Now, isn't it interesting? As the confession starts talking about baptism, it says nothing about water. It only talked about blood. Right? It points us, first of all, to the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. It reminds us that Jesus' blood was enough to pay for every single sin that has ever been committed and will ever be committed. And it declares that because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, no more blood ever needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Right? The confession starts by pointing us back to the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. Right? It's a whole system that God set up for the people of Israel to be able to pay for their sins. Right? Read the book of Leviticus sometime. It's not the most exciting book of the Bible, but read it anyways. And, and, and you'll see how this whole sacrificial system works. And it's exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Because through that sacrificial system, they brought animal after animal after animal, day after day, week after week, year after year, to the altar to shed its blood for the forgiveness of sins. It was a messy system, right? Read through and you'll see that blood was drained and, and blood was sprinkled and blood was scattered everywhere. It was a constant and bloody requirement to pay the price for sin until, until there came the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, the one person in whom there was no blemish, there was no sin, Jesus. And Jesus chose to take his place in this Old Testament sacrificial system. And he allowed his blood to be shed. He allowed himself to be sacrificed as the perfect sacrifice, which fulfilled all the requirements. And he died once and for all, for all sin. And through his blood, this whole Old Testament sacrificial system is obsolete. It's done. The blood requirement has been paid. It's been satisfied once and for all. That, that price for forgiveness was fulfilled on the cross with the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's a reason 
why there's water here instead of blood. We're done with blood. This water joyfully proclaims the absence of the blood requirement. It points us towards that, that once and for all awesome forgiving sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood so it doesn't have to be here anymore. And so when we baptize these children in just a few moments, this water declares to them the way to salvation, the way to forgiveness, the power and the thickness of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for them out of his love for them. Does this water promise them salvation? Does it guarantee that these two little girls are made right with God? No. Water doesn't do that. Blood does, right? And this water points us towards and points these children towards that blood that was shed for them. That can wash them clean in God's sight. So if we're going to see beyond the ritual of baptism, and if we're going to see this sacrament for what God really intended it to be, and if we're going to understand it for ourselves, then that's exactly where we need to start. Right? This water pointing us towards the blood of Jesus that truly saves. And so in a few moments, this water is going to run down the foreheads of these two little girls. And that moment is a moment not just for them, but it's a moment for each one of us to ask ourselves about the blood of Jesus. About the blood of Jesus for us and our relationship with God. It's a time where each one of us needs to ask ourselves, have I been washed in the blood of Jesus? Truly? Do I believe that his blood shed for me actually has the power to forgive me and to make me right with God? Do I have the confident assurance that Jesus' blood has washed me clean? If not, if I can't have that assurance, why not? Why can't I trust in his promises? It should be a moment for each one of us where our faith journey moves forward again. And if I do believe that this blood has been shed for me, then it should be a moment of immense gratitude as the water flows for these children, as we remember the blood that flowed for us and our thanks goes to God for that once and for all sacrifice that Jesus made, for Jesus' blood that was shed so that ours won't have to be. What a gift. Do I, do I recognize the immensity of that gift? Am I, am I eager to give thanks to God for what he's done for me? This water is thick. It's thick with the understanding of the blood of Jesus Christ. But, there, but there's even more meaning in this water. Right? The water of baptism points us towards the blood sacrificed for us. But it also points us towards the blood that sets us apart as people belonging to God. You see, there's another very significant use of blood in the Old Testament. The people of God in the Old Testament were set aside. They were marked as his people through blood. Right? The, the confession told us it's the, it's the blood of circumcision. That, that ritual of blood. Every Jewish boy 
were circumcised as evidence that he belonged to the community of God. Right? And if you weren't Jewish, and if you wanted to become a part of that Jewish community, what was the requirement? It was circumcision. There was blood that had to be shed to mark you as a member of the community, the family of God. But what God used to do for the people of Israel through circumcision, he now does today for us through the water of baptism. Right? Paul makes that connection in Colossians chapter 2. Take out your Bibles if you haven't done that already. Turn to Colossians 2. He begins at verse 6. He begins a section declaring the freedom, the New Testament freedom we have from human regulations, from human rituals such as circumcision and other religious rituals. Instead, he says, we're now free to live lives marked by Christ. So start with me at verse 6. We're going to read through verse 12. Listen to what he has to say and how he ties circumcision to baptism. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given the fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature. That's what's cut away now, the sinful nature, okay? In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul says there, that what was once accomplished previously through the bloody ritual of circumcision is now completed through the water of baptism. With this water, Paul says, God sets aside his people, his community, those who will receive his grace and his mercy. He marks them as his own. With this water, he designates a community that will be influenced and, and affected and directed and led by him. Right? It isn't a promise, it is not a promise that everyone who receives the water of baptism will be saved. Okay, there's plenty of circumcised Israelites who rebelled against God, right? And there's plenty of baptized people who today are living apart from Jesus. It's not a promise of salvation. But it is a promise from God, that he will place his offer of grace and forgiveness in front of these children within his community. I can remember one seminary professor trying to help us understand this, and, and he illustrated the power of baptism using, using an old Cedar Point ride. I doubt it's even there anymore. I remember riding, anybody remember riding the ride called the rotor? Anybody ride the rotor? Remember it? I got a few hands. The rotor was, I'm sure it's gone because I can't believe they would do this to people. They, it, 
the rotor was just a big cylinder, a big room that was round, right? And you'd line up and you'd, you'd put your back up against the wall, against this round cylinder, and this thing would just start spinning faster and faster and faster. And when it got certainly fast enough, you know, all the pressure pushing against you, the floor would drop out, and there you'd be plastered against the wall until the floor came back up and they sewed you down again. Just about threw up the one time I wrote it. It was horrible, okay? But, but all the forces are pushing against you, right? They're pushing you away from the center. So the seminary professor said, life is like that. Okay, God is at the center. God is at the center, and the forces of sin and evil in this world are going to constantly push you away from God. Whether it's rebellion against God, or whether it's simply apathy towards God, Ever since the fall, the world is like a rotor. It's like this rotor that keeps pushing away from God, away from the center, away from your, where you're supposed to be. He said, in baptism, what God is promising, what God is saying, is he's saying, in this world, in this community where the forces are always pushing you away from me, I'm gonna put you in a place where forces are gonna pull you towards me where you'll be able to see me more clearly. I'm gonna put you in a community that will tell you about me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you back. It's the opposite of the rotor. And he does it in so many ways. He says, I'm gonna put the Holy Spirit in your life. That's gonna be the first force. The Spirit is gonna be walking with you. It's gonna be opening your eyes. It's gonna be giving you glimpses of me. And it's gonna pull you back towards me until you can see me more clearly. And I'm gonna put you in a family where the parents are gonna promise to, to tell you about me and they're gonna read the Bible to you and, and they're gonna help you grow and find me. I'm gonna put you in a church community where people are gonna care for you and love you and model for you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ until you get to the point where you can, by the move of my spirit, Accept me for yourself. It's the anti-rotor. It's going to pull you towards the middle again. So in a few minutes, as this water again pours down the forehead of these two little girls, it's a moment for each one of us to ask ourselves about our place in the community, in the family of God. Because many of us here have been marked by the water of baptism ourselves. Right, we, God has identified us as his own. We are members of his family, members of his community. What does that mean for you, to be a member of the community of God, marked by God? Is that a label that, that we've taken for granted? You know, has, have we turned that label into an excuse to have cheap grace? Yeah, I'm a member of the family of God. That means I can sin all I want because God's gonna forgive me. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to live for him. God's grace is enough. Have we turned it into cheap grace? Is it a label that, is it a label that the world can see as we're living out what it means to be a member of the family of God? Am I living that out day in and day out wherever God has placed me so that, so that these little girls will be able to see Jesus through me? Am I living in that kind of way? You know, I can't see the evidence of anybody's baptism on their foreheads right now. There's no stain there. The water is long since gone. But you've been marked. God sees it. 
And he says, you are part of my community. What does that mean for you to be a part of the community of God? Does it mean anything? This water is thick with meaning. Thick with with an understanding of the blood of Jesus that calls us to live for him, that calls us to model for each other what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that, that calls us to live for this world that has all the forces pushing against it, pushing, aw- pushing them away from God. And God says, I want you to be a force that pulls them towards me. What does that mean for you? Are you a force pulling anybody towards God? This water carries with it great significance for these children who will be baptized here this morning and for all of us who have been baptized. This is not an empty ritual. This is, this is not something we do to make us feel good. This is not something we do to, to kind of tie God in and, and you know, magically make his power save anybody. That's not what it works. The sacrament is a gift from God that carries great significance. In fact, the confession goes on to lay out the significance of this water in our daily lives. Uh, read it again with me. Listen to what it says. By it, we are received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions that we may be dedicated entirely to him, bearing his mark and sign. It also witnesses to us that he will be our God forever since he is our gracious Father. Through this sacrament, God makes two bold declarations that we need to hear this morning. We need to hear for these girls, we need to hear for ourselves. First of all, he declares that he receives us and sets us apart for himself. God comes and claims us as his own. He says, you are mine, and I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna forsake you. Right, God, God with this water tells us who we are even before, as, as little babies, even before we know for ourselves who we are. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation and you are a people belonging to me. You belong to me. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. That's who you are, God says. You are mine. I claim you as my own. God identifies us as part of his community, not by any choice of our own, not because we're so worthy, not because we somehow earn the right to be a part of it. God chose us before we even had the ability to choose him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still little babies, God welcomes us. With this water, God chooses us to be his own people. He binds us to himself. And then secondly, maybe even more profoundly, with this water, God binds himself to us. Think about that. Almighty God binds himself to you. He promises that he will be your God forever. He promises us that this water is gonna be thicker than blood, that there's nothing you can do that's gonna make him abandon you and let you go and give up on you. No. 
You are forever marked as his, and he's never gonna let you go. You know, you may not be able to see the water on your forehead anymore. People aren't gonna walk down the street and say, what's that on your forehead? But God sees it. It's a permanent reminder for him of the promise that he made to you to be your God forever. A permanent reminder that he will never take the Holy Spirit away from you. A permanent reminder that no matter how far away we walk from God, he's never gonna walk away from us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. We may not like him, we may rebel, we may walk away, we may choose to ignore him, but God's gonna be true to his promise forever. So with this water, God binds himself again to us through his promise of grace. And just in case we missed it, just in case we've fallen into the trap of seeing this sacrament as an empty ritual that we got to put up with for a few moments before we can go to lunch, the confession points us back to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ one more time. Say it with me. Baptism signifies to us that just as water washes away the dirt of the body when it is poured on us and also is seen on the body of the baptized when it is sprinkled on him, so too the blood of Christ does the same thing internally in the soul by the Spirit. This water, again, points us to the blood, the blood that's thicker than water. And just as this water can wash away the dirt off the body and make us clean, so the blood of Jesus Christ shed for these children, shed for you and for me, can and will wash away all the dirt on the inside. It can and will wash away all your guilt and all your shame. It can and it will wash away all of our sin, everything unholy, everything impure, and make us perfect, able to be in the presence of God. When we see the water of baptism, we need to be reminded that we are a community of blood. Right? We are a community that's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God is eager to welcome these children into this community. God's about to make his promises that will seal them with the water of baptism. And now we let the Holy Spirit do his work, right? We let the Holy Spirit work through, through us as parents, siblings, grandparents, uncles, and aunts. We let the Holy Spirit do his work to those of us who are iKids teachers and iClub teachers and youth group leaders and prayer partners and mentors. Now we step into the role that we have committed and promised to do. We let the Holy Spirit work through us to bring these children to the point where they will hear God's promises and receive them as their own. Promises to receive the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ and be transformed by him. God gave us the sacrament of water, water that's thicker than blood. And this water binds us all together as the family of God, a bond that cannot be broken. We may be vastly different from each other in this community. We may, we may disagree with each other. We may frustrate each other. Sure, we disappoint each other, maybe even hurt each other, hopefully unintentionally. 
We may not see eye to eye on what some people think are very significant points of doctrine or practice, but we're bound together as family by the water of baptism and the blood of Jesus Christ. And this water is thick. This water is strong. It's thick and strong. It's as thick and strong as the binding promises of God. It's as unrelenting as the loving arms of God that never let us go. It's as powerful as the empty tomb that will forgive every sin. So there's going to be water in the bowl, not blood. But this water points us to the blood. God's greatest gift offered to these children, offered to you, offered to me. If we're marked with the blood, then let's live by the blood. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I thank you for this community, for this family of God that is bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your awesome sacrifice, that you were willing to go to the cross and to die and to shed your blood so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. Thank you for the empty cross that is evidence of the victory that is ours. Thank you for the guarantee of forgiveness, that there is no sin so wrong, so bad. There is no darkness so deep that the light of your grace the power of your forgiveness can't set us free. Father, thank you for your grace that you promised to us. You promised that you will never let us go. You will never give up on us. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family of God. And I pray that you'd help us, this family called Ivanrest Church, this community called Ivanrest Church, to become all that you intended and designed us to be. And as we look at ourselves, some, sometimes we see that you shine in us and through us in glorious ways. And we celebrate those moments, Father. Thank you for all the times when, when in this family, the hurting are cared for. And we continue to pray for, for Sue and Isaac and Chris and George as they deal with long-term recoveries and illnesses. We pray for those who are, who are facing shorter-term recoveries. We pray for Deb Terborg, who just completed a, another knee surgery and is home recovering from that. Give her patience as she re recovers. We pray for those who hurt silently. For those who maybe their, their hurts aren't even physical, they can't be seen, but their hearts are broken. Their lives are hurting. We pray for those who, who care quietly for a spouse, for a friend. I thank you, Father, for the moments when this community shines as we care for each other. Thank you for the moments of joy that are celebrated together as as we celebrate new births together, as we celebrate life moments together, as we celebrate your victories in our lives together, and we celebrate along with Buck and Christy Buchholz and, and the marriage of Chad and Becky this past weekend, and we pray many years of blessing on that relationship, Father. Thank you for, for the life that we share together. Father, thank you for the moments when, 
when your love and your grace is proclaimed boldly and loudly through this community. Thank you for the people who are willing to go far away for you. We pray for Angie Johnson as she's getting settled in Nicaragua as she begins her three years there. And, and we just ask that she would settle in quickly and, and be open to whatever opportunity you have for her there. We pray this week for Tim and Renee and their families are traveling back here to, to the United States after 18 years in China. And we pray for them in, in this transition. There's a lot of details to be worked out, but more than that, there's... Um, there's some heaviness of heart as they say goodbye to 18 years of, of life and relationships that they built there. And so we pray that, that that transition, we pray for safety, first of all, in their travels this week, and we pray for, for a good transition back into life here in the United States. We pray for Amy Dore. She's finishing her summer in China. Thank you for all the opportunities you've given her, and we pray you continue to shape her life through this experience. And Lord, you give opportunities to each of us right here at home. We don't need to go across the ocean. We don't need to go far away. And there's times when, when we, as members of your family called Ivanress, have a chance and we have taken the opportunity, the invitation you've given us to be a shining light to a neighbor, to a friend, to a family member. And we rejoice in those moments, Father. We pray for our high schoolers who are leaving this evening to go to Chicago. We pray that they might be a shining light there and that you might shine your light into them and grow them through this process. Father, you've you made it clear that it's our love that will identify us as your followers. Sometimes that love is obvious. And sometimes we are far from the community that you designed us to be. Forgive us for all the times that we fail. Forgive us for all the times when we leave the hurting alone and uncared for. Sometimes we do that because we're apathetic, we just don't care. Sometimes we're selfish, more concerned about our own well-being than others. Sometimes we choose to allow injustice to thrive. Forgive us, Father, make us people who truly care like you do. Father, forgive us when we focus on our divisions rather than our unity and we let that pull your family apart. Forgive us when we hide your grace and love within these walls or maybe within our own lives because there's so many people who need to know your grace. They need to know your love and you place them in our lives. Give us the courage, Father, to model for them, maybe to speak to them of your great love. Forgive us when we've let our own kingdoms take priority over your kingdom. Father, we are your community, bound to you. Thank you for binding yourself to us. Thank you that you'll never give up on us. So give us the courage to be and become the kind of community, the kind of family that you have designed and called us to be. May we be known by our love, by your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can invite the worship team to come on forward, if you will, because we're gonna sing a song about that love, how deep the Father's love for us, his love that marks you as his own, and his love then that calls you to live that love 
to pull people towards him, to let the Holy Spirit use you for his kingdom purposes. So would you stand, please, and let's sing about his deep love for us.